0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm a consultant with Troubling the Waters.
1: And I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the director of formation for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And
0: I forgot, because Charlotte was making a face at me, that this is your (laughs) one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family.
1: You cannot prove that I made a face at you.
0: No, definitely not. It's my word against yours, and everyone will believe you because you're a moral (laughs) upstanding human. And I've been divorced, which automatically (laughs) excludes me from any morality. Is that true? I'm pretty sure.
1: No, I'm pretty not sure not on the faith to go past. Oh. Here we are about love and oh. acceptance and the beauty of every human and okay. I am also still more reliable.
0: Okay. <laughs> like, okay. I'm glad we handled it with that caveat. So true. Thank you everyone for joining our conversation today. We're gonna to be talking about the gospel for this upcoming Sunday in the third Sunday of Lent, which is half of the Sundays of Lent, if I am counting right, for this upcoming Sunday, March third, twenty twenty four. We're excited to get into that gospel discussion, but before that, we always are excited to share about a God sighting. You know, because we don't have a guest this week, it's just Charlotte and I, so we're each going to share a God sighting, double God sightings today, but Charlotte has to go first because I don't know what mine's going to be yet. (laughs) So, Charlotte, take it away.
1: Well, mine is actually... I don't know if it's a consolation or a desolation. I That's think the it's. Best kind. I think it's in that in-between place, yeah. mm-hmm. conflicted. Okay. It has to do with my Lent practice. And so I had decided before Lent arrived what I was going to give up this year as a way to draw closer to yeah. God. And I made it a day and a half, David. Oh. <laughs> okay. I did. I made it a day and a half. And I... The reason why this is my God sighting is because in that moment, I decided that what I needed to do was embrace the messiness of my life right now mm-hmm. as my let practice. Mm-hmm. What I have done is I'm trying really hard to create space for what I need in the moment instead of putting a prescriptive thing on myself Mm -hmm. um, regarding what I'm going to take on or give up, but instead be like just a real check-in with where I am because I tend to be a process-oriented person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can own that about Mm -hmm. myself. So instead of putting like these rules and expectations and days to cross off on instead, what my Lenten practice has become is like, what do I need in this moment? But really, Not like, what is the easy way to Mm. do it? Um, What is the comforting way to do it? Or punitively, what is the way in which I need to hold myself accountable or torture myself? But like really a deep check-in each time I find myself in these pieces places of conflict and or wallow, Mm. right? Like where I get really discouraged and be like, what is it that you really need? And so what I'm finding now that we are approaching our third week of Lent mm-hmm. is that what it's allowing for is for me to become more centered in myself, mm-hmm. which is allowing more room for me to be connected to God.
0: Mm-hmm. So nice. So nice. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. I now know what I'm going to share.
1: Excellent. What is it? Um, David, is there a place you have seen or felt God in this past week? Consolation or desolation?
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a both mm. also. Our theme. It's like, it is this last week, but it's really been like the last like nine months. It's like we're, this last week has been the conclusion of this big um, consulting project that I've been working on, this this listening project with a local organization it's, like, been this really big undertaking. You know, I, like, worked with a research team from, like, made up of people from the community, and we did surveys and focus groups and interviews and, like, a lot of great stories and a lot of amazing sharing. But, like, throughout the process, it's just these highs and lows for me because, like, the issue is that, like, at every part of the process, I just want to be... I just want to have, like, answers. I want to have, like, conclusions. I want to, like, write the report about it before we've even started, And uh, that happens to me a lot. And so it's really, again, thinking about like being centered and present. That's like the invitation throughout these big projects that I I do for consulting with, with organizations and congregations is like, you can't get ahead of the stories. Like you can't preempt the stories people are sharing these stories and their experiences of communities. And only after like you've like been soaking in these stories will like themes emerge of people's experiences and then ways forward and new practices to do for communities will emerge based on these stories. So like it, it is part of like my discomfort and uncertainty of wanting to just like know the answer before I'm supposed to. And really there are no answers until like the very end. You know, until like this last week when like the reports getting written and like people are giving feedback and like, um, so it's like a stressful process because there's just so much uncertainty, so much waiting. You know, it's just like waiting for the truth truths to emerge from people's stories, which is a beautiful process, but I also don't like it mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And also, I love it objectively when I'm not in the middle of it. Yeah, I think it's great. It really is like a consolation and desolation. Like the desolation is like that anxiety, uncertainty feeling and the consolation is when I can be grounded in that moment there is such hope in the fact that it's not really about me finding the answer, it's about listening, you know, mm-hmm. and and being open to what is emerging and trying to and like not preempting the process, which is I think something that's true for a lot of different things in life just generally. So it's a great blessing for me to be to have that kind of lesson, experiential lesson, like, regularly in my life. So, that's really nice.
1: Well, and I think what I hear, the common thread that I feel in both yours and mine, is they're both very Lenten, Mm -hmm. first of all.
0: We're very Lenten people, I would say. That is a true story. Yeah.
1: Also, like, that it's learning to be centered in the wilderness. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. accepting the fact that we don't always know how to do that and that it is innately uncomfortable, yeah. but that it is holy and mm-hmm. it is a way to experience God in this struggle mm-hmm. to be centered in the wilderness.
0: Yeah. Life is like 95% wilderness, <laughs> is my experience. Maybe higher than that, honestly. I'm going to go with 96%. <laughs> yeah. We would love to know, you know what your take is on the percentage of wilderness that life is if you have an idea. We'd also love to hear any of your questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion and reflection, any of your God sightings, anything from your ministry context you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us, faith2go at edst.org. You can contact us through Instagram, at faith2go. Direct message us, tag us on Instagram. Find all those ways of getting in contact with us listed in the description for this episode. So just scroll down and click those links. And now, we are going to move on to our gospel discussion again for this upcoming week, March 3rd, the third Sunday in Lent. Charlotte's going to read it, and then I'll have a little bit of context. We'll each have a point. And the reading is John 2:13 to 22
1: The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling doves, Take those things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered what was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken.
0: Here we are. In John! (laughs) John comes out of nowhere. This is how we get John in a a three-year gospel cycle. We have him, he's sprinkled in, or they, or she, who knows. John sprinkled in in these uh, Lenten and Easter Pentecost seasons and Advent. We are in the second chapter of John. So when was it? Not that long ago that we were in the first chapter of John talking about um, the prologue to John's gospel, the word. We talked about John the Baptist and John's gospel in the first chapter of John. We talked about the calling of Philip, right, under Mm under the tree. And so this is just the next thing. There's two major things that happen in the second chapter of John. The first one is the wedding of Cana. Where Jesus turns the water to wine. And then this. It's funny because I think about this happening when Jesus enters Jerusalem at the end of the gospel. But no, nobody knows who this guy is when yeah. this is happening. <laughs> so when you think about it, like just out of nowhere, this guy is in there flipping tables. It's not that like the Jewish leaders have like heard about Jesus and his teaching and it's been three years and he's been doing all this stuff and now he's like making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's like, nobody knows who this person is and he's just in there flipping tables, mm-hmm. screaming about stuff. And that's why they're like, who are you? And why, why can you do this? You know? They probably would have asked him that still at the end, but I just think it's interesting con- contextually that like, this is how Jesus starts. This is not how Jesus ends.
1: And it's the difference in John and everybody else.
0: Right. He's just like, in Jerusalem at the beginning, you know? And in every other gospel, Jesus doesn't make his way to Jerusalem until much later. Uh, so, So, John has Jesus in Jerusalem much more often. That's pretty much it, I think, just to know that, like, this is very early on in John's gospel. Like, Jesus's ministry is just kicking off here, and this is how he's choosing to start it. He calls disciples, he goes to a wedding, and then he, like, trashes the temple in Jerusalem. And this is everyone's introduction to Jesus. So, great first impression, I'd say. Really sets the tone. The other thing to say is just about this language of the Jews, quote-unquote. This is language John likes to use. This is reflective of the time in which John's gospel was written, and that it was much later than the synoptic gospels, we call them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's gospel was written at the very end of the first century, so we're talking about 60, 70, 80 years after Jesus' death. So, dynamics between this group of people that are followers of Jesus and the local Jewish community have changed a lot. It's really, we see now that like this community of John really thinks about themselves as something very different than Jewish people and they are at odds with one another. And that's what's reflected in this gospel is that the the dynamics of those two communities at the time. And unfortunately it's led to a lot of anti-Semitism over the last 2000 years. Um, which is, has been destructive and is unjust. And so, when we read the Jews, quote-unquote, we're really talking about the Jewish leaders, you know, which is the same as what we're, when we think about the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's who Jesus is talking to, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, you know, temple leaders. So, it's not all the Jewish people, whenever John's saying the Jews, we can kind of replace it all the time with the Jewish leaders, you know, people in leadership in the Jewish community. Jesus wouldn't understand the concept that there, were, there was him and then the Jews over here because he was a Jewish person, you know? So that's like a much later idea uh, that Jesus would not have thought was true. So all that to say, the Gospels are reflective of the context in which they were written, and that's okay. That's okay. They can still be true. They can still be inspired, but they have contextual realities to them as well. So with that, Charlotte's got a point. And I'd love to know what it is.
1: Thank you, David. I was thinking about how sometimes our intentions get the best of us. Mm. And so, as I was reading the gospel this week and preparing for our conversation today, what I was really struck by was the number of things that Jesus rails against. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Um, So he comes in, he makes his whips of cords, and he drives out the sheep and the cattle. Um, The next thing that he addresses is the doves. Right after that, it is the coins. Um, And so like there is just this progression of things. It's not that Jesus flipped one table it was mm-hmm. a whole series of things that were happening both his actions and his words reflect were the cleansing that the, in that instance that he had to address all of these things mm-hmm. but when we think about if we choose to think about how those things ended up there they came from maybe a place of practicality mm-hmm. that people needed sacrifices in order to sacrifice them within the temple Mm -hmm. and that people were coming from all over the place with coins that were not resident to the place. Mm -hmm. And so like all of these things could have practical implications and it's very easy to let our intentions take us down the wrong road Mm -hmm. to make us be focused on the wrong things. And in this case, I would say that it gets you focused on greed that these things, they're always like a place of commerce mm-hmm. is a place of buying and selling things. Mm-hmm. And so therefore what has happened is the intentions of maybe the intentions originally were providing access or ease for people that were coming to the temple. But the reality is that what has become there is no longer mm-hmm. about worship. It is no longer about being in alignment with God. And it certainly has nothing to do with the Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why all of this was taking place at this time, why all of this came to be. And so I was thinking about it from that way in which you get misaligned and the way that these people were making all of these choices and that it gets doubled down, right? Like it's not even just that they that their behaviors are out of alignment, but also that then when they're like why are you doing this? Basically, by what authority are you doing this? Show us a sign. Right, And again, in John, this is early on, and they say this, well, Jesus says, um, if you tear down, hold on, let me quote it directly, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And they think the building, Uh they think the building is what's most important. And they name that because they say that it's been being built for 46 years. And so the dedication, the time, the money, the talent, all of the things that were invested in this physical building... And it's not what Jesus is talking about. And it is not what God wants from us, right? Like the building has never been what mattered. The building is still not what matters. And yet that is the temptation, the intention that gets misaligned, that we get more focused on the things than on following God. Mm -hmm. And maybe Jesus isn't clear on purpose. We don't know one way or another that he you know, that he uses this very broad way of speaking about it. But it does make me wonder about the things in which we are misaligned and what is the question that will help us discern the ways in which we are not following God. Maybe it will require that There are people out in this world that are speaking the truths in a table-flipping way, and we need to listen to those people who are out there, and instead of being like, oh my goodness, that person is so loud, and if they would just say it nicer or quieter or in a more palatable way, then more people would listen to them. Instead of squashing those people, instead, maybe we need to be like, hey, look, pay attention. Mm -hmm. This person is flipping tables because what's happening is unjust and not centered on God. Maybe it's that. Maybe it is just our own personal journey, much like you and I were just talking about in those wilderness places, being willing to sit in those uncomfortable places and consider how we are misaligned in our own personal faith journey, in our relationships, in our relationship with God, and be willing to like think about like what is it that we are misaligned in and how can we come back into alignment? What do we need to drive out of our lives? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that thinking about this like the Jesus saying, you know, tear down this temple, like you're saying highlighting the difference between like him thinking about his body, them thinking about this building. And yeah, his like the at the at the core of it all isn't about like sacrifices being bad or the temple being bad. It's it's like that we're missing the point, mm-hmm. you know, like Jesus understands as a Jewish person that what God wants is people to take care of one another. Like there's so much in the Hebrew scriptures about how to take care of other people, you know? Because in this moment, the kind of rituals of Judaism have been taken over by the people in power to make money at the expense of the poor, you know? <laughs> and so like Jesus is like saying, "Man, we're really missing the mark here." Like and and to say that he's like you're saying, calling us back It's not about the building, it's about people. It's about people's bodies, you know? That's my point as well. Just thinking about this kind of righteous anger, and as it says in in the gospel, it says zeal. Zeal for your house, you know? Such a great word. Great word. It's interesting because, like, I'm thinking about Jesus and, like, his experience of this place, and, like, it seems like it comes out of this, like, sense of righteous anger because he is this, like, you know, divine... Being. But just think about Jesus' life. Like, we have stories from from the other gospels, specifically in Luke, about Jesus' parents taking him when he's a baby to this temple for this feast and buying sacrifices in this same place. You know, like, we know that they were poor because they were buying two. Two birds mm-hmm. to sacrifice, right? Which is the thing that you would buy if you just needed. So- you need everyone needs to sacrifice something, and that's the thing that is, is affordable, you know. So like Jesus isn't coming into this thing in just like a vacuum with a general sense of this isn't right. He's remembering his mom, you know, like his mom was the person getting extorted. Like he grew up his whole life in an underprivileged place. You know, an under-resourced area with an under in an under-resourced family, seeing them go every year to the Passover at the temple, seeing them constantly get shortchanged, you know, seeing the people in power in his community that were that were given power to take care of him and his family, taking advantage of him and his family instead. So this just doesn't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This doesn't just come out of this general sense of like this is God's house and God doesn't like it it's like like i think i feel like making it that like takes away from the power of it you know it cheapens it because it's like if if we look at the psalm that this is being quoted from psalm 69 verse 9 it says zeal for your house will consume me but it's not just like out of this general sense like righteous anger for for god hold on now i got to find it again <laughs>
1: It's misaligned. Did you like my hand motions? Was I, it really was very doci do. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you were square dancing with God.
0: Get your partner round and round. Do, 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 upside down.
1: It is zeal for your house that has
0: consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Which I thought was really interesting. Like, that's not quoted in John, but it is the second half of that verse. It's not just about zeal for your house, but it, like, it's the way that it affects me, which is what gives me zeal for it. So I think it's like so powerful to think that like Jesus isn't just doing this out of this sense of like righteous anger that people are messing up God's house. Jesus is doing this out of this sense of because he loves his community. It's righteous anger out of love. So it's anger born from love for the love of people, for the love of his mom, for the love of his family, his siblings, you know, the people that he sees his siblings reflected in all around him that are also being taken advantage of. So it's not just, oh, in this holy God, God's house, how can you do this thing? It's like, how can you treat people like this? Mm-hmm. It's because he wants something for himself that he wants to make a change you know? He wants something for his family to be different. And, and, and in doing that, he wants something for everyone to be different, because it, if it benefits him, it benefits everyone. When we're thinking about our own actions in the world, especially when they are these kind of social justice-oriented actions, and especially when they're born out of our own sense of, like, zeal, are we doing it just out of this—can we say to ourselves, I'm doing this because God thinks it's right? Or because God doesn't like this? Or am I saying because I want this to be different for me, for my family, you know? Like, I I do justice work, this is David talking, I, David, do this work of justice because I actually want a different world for my children to live in. And I am a privileged person. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that even in this privileged way I'm living, it's still not the world that I would like to live in. you know, And a world that is just and equitable for everyone benefits me, even though I'm the one benefiting from the inequities that exist now. But even though I am privileged in benefiting from them, I still would like something more akin to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus describes, because that's a place that's actually going to take care of me and care, take care of my children. I don't want a world where my kids inherit some sort of wealth, and, but then they still have to take care of themselves. There still is not communal support for their wellness. It's all based on their own individual capacity to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and use the resources that they've been given. It's like, I want something different for them. You know. I don't want a future where they're, they're dependent on like the money that I've saved away to support them. I want a world in which they are supported because the world supports mm. them then not because of what they have for the future. And so, even as a privileged white person, I can still do justice work because I want a different life. I want a different world for myself because there is a, the world where everyone is taken care of is a better world for me as well. And Jesus was not a privileged person, you know, so he didn't have that same kind of inner inner dialogue. He was doing it as an as an under-resourced person, an oppressed person, wanting things to change for him and his family. Not just out of a sense of like righteousness of this God's house thing, like you said, is focused on people, on their bodies, on what is going to help them survive and live and thrive. So it's always just, to me, it's asking the question, like you're saying, what are the practices that are going to help us like be present, be aware of the ways we're missing the mark. Jesus is saying, and then when we're doing the work of justice to bring those things back into alignment, can we be aware of our intentions? Because if our intention is just to go destroy things and be angry, that actually doesn't create anything different than what has happened before. We're in the place we are because people went out to destroy and conquer. And so if we're doing conquering destructive justice work, it's not going to create a more equitable and just place. If our righteous anger is born out of love for people, That is like a totally different way of creating. It can be destructive or it can be creative, you know? And this kind of righteous anger born from love is creative and generative in that Jesus is citing his own death and then resurrection, you know? Not just destruction of the temple, but raising it back up to rebuild something different. Well,
1: and as you were talking, David, I was thinking about how what I was noticing in it was when you say, I want... Language that I use quite often lately is what are you longing for? Uh-huh. And, like that, for me, the depth of that word, the yearning, the longing for it helps us discern. Um, the ways in which we are either aligned or misaligned, what our intentions are. Are they pure att- intentions that focus on the good of all hu- humankind, um, that draws closer to God and to one another and to our true selves? Or are they intentions that are misaligned? Are we focused on the wrong thing? And it's such an important check-in that, like, what do I want, what do I long for, in order to make sure that we are staying on the path that benefits everybody
0: those are good points, I think. Mm -hmm. Two points for today. Point number one was Charlotte's, you know, asking us to become aware of the ways we are misaligned. Our our practices and our beliefs are out of alignment and how we can bring them back into alignment. Uh, And then when we're doing that work of justice, my point was, can we become aware of our intentions, of our motivations, what we want from this thing, and then do those righteously angry justice work out of a sense of love and creative love. So, having heard those two points, we'd love to know what your point would have been for this upcoming Sunday's Gospel for March 3rd, 2024, Third Sunday in Lent. We'd love to hear any of your questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion, reflection, uh, any of your God sightings, uh, anything from your ministry context you'd like to share. You can find all those ways of getting in contact with us listed in the description for this episode. Before we go, yeah,
1: um, I did receive a message from the Reverend Hannah Wilder. Uh, identifying that the moment of Zen huh. came from The Daily Show, because that was a question that oh, we asked <laughs> people if they knew where the moment of Zen yes. came from. And Hannah's request, which I think that we should honor, okay. was that she gets 100 Faith to Go points.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Right? Like, so the Reverend Hannah Wilder, all-star of the Faith to Go yeah, podcast, officially. we officially award you a hundred faith I'm to go points. I'm writing it down right now on our for knowing faith to
0: go scorecard
1: for knowing where the moment of Zen came from. Congratulations,
0: <laughs> thank you, Anna. Well, that's it. We'll be back next time to talk about the fourth Sunday in Lent, March tenth, twenty twenty four. And until then, say goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye everybody. everybody.